hello and welcome to our first Agony Aunt and Uncle podcast of 2024. If you've never joined us before, um, basically what we do here is we, Mark and I have, um, you know, we've had quite an experienced life so far. (laughs) We've seen some things. Lots of shit's gone down. And um, we are we are people that you know friends and family will quite often say, "Oh, what do you think I should do about this?" And that's kind of the vibe for this. It's the advice. Well, is it advice? Not really advice. We share our experiences. Mm. So we very much read these problems, thinking, "Have I got anything that I could connect to with this? Have I had any? Is there any similarities in what this person has gone through that we could share?" how what happened to us and how we dealt with it because we're not professionals we're not psychiatrists we're not therapists we're not doctors so we can't give expert advice we can only give round the kitchen table over a cuppa i think what i'm looking forward to in 2024 with agony aunt and uncle um and this is there is a there is an appetite isn't there for sort of go slow explore talk through me and nadia are of a sort of televisual kind of background where we are forever thinking of timings and durations and, and working out what we say to what we say. And obviously, within reason, because everyone's got, got a lack of time, you know, these don't become very, very long. But I do think what we could do across 2024 is every now and then, if there's a topic or a theme or something... We see a lot of the similar Yeah, questions. and that we try and get someone in as an expert to kind of have a chat with from their perspective, you know, whether it be male mental health or whatever, or loneliness, you know, so many things, like, yeah, ADHD, whatever it could be. And so sometimes we see that you, like, in, for instance, this week, there was a couple of uh, problems, if you like, that were shared, where you were wanting specific targeted advice and it verged into a medical requirement. We won't go there. We can't do that. We're not qualified for that. We wouldn't want to give the wrong advice and we wouldn't want to sort of suggest something that might be right for us or might be right for someone we know in our lives but wouldn't be right for you. But what we can do, as Nadia beautifully put it, is share in our experiences and we encourage you to find the similarities not uh, uh, rather than focus on the differences. And we and we say that actually for any problem that you're listening to, and both Mark and I do a weekly live, Mark does his on addiction, I do mine on body image on our YouTube channel, and we use some of the disciplines that are used in um, anonymous meetings, AA, mm. CA, whatever. And, and, and the main one is when you're listening to somebody else's story, Look for the similarities, not the differences. So if you think, well, it's got nothing to do with this person, 60, she's this, she's that. But you might hear something, there might be something that chimes with you that emotionally is exactly the same. Or you might hear the way that somebody is treating themselves Mm. and recognise it in yourself. So that would be the main thing. Look for the similarities. And a final note to give you a flavour of where we're coming from, thus agony aunt and uncle, is... You know, the kind of advice or the kind of thoughts that we share are the kind of thoughts we would share with our most precious relatives and friends, you know, and and, and children. You know, if they came to us with this sort of a dilemma, what we kind of open our mouths and say is what we would probably sit down and say to those that yeah, we care about and you know, know, yeah, and anyone we know who are seeking any kind of help or or even just reassurance. 
So I'm going to start, and this person would prefer to stay anonymous. Please do make sure whether you want to to say whether you want to be anonymous or because some people do like to hear their names, and that's that's great too. And also to always give us your age if you could, because it does make a big difference sometimes, especially when we're discussing relationships. It makes a big difference to what age you are. So this is a very short one, but the reason I chose it was because I think we can expand it out a bit. So um, this person said. Have you ever had to deal with a narcissist? I'm in living hell. Thank you. Simply with a lovely little dog emoji. I think is that dog emoji. Now, obviously, there's there's very little context given there. I don't know whether this is with a partner. I don't know whether this is with uh, somebody at work, whether this is a sibling. I don't know what the relationship is. And, of course, we don't know whether this person is actually a narcissist or not. So... There's lots of differences that I could see there and think, oh, well, this is nothing that we can talk about. But what I'm seeing is the similarities I'm seeing. What I'm hearing is there is somebody in your life that is leaving you feeling unhappy, out of control. Maybe you say you're in a living hell um, and obviously very unhappy because because you've messaged us. So I would just say in a really general way. What I find more and more, and it's what I say all the time to the kids and what Mark and I will say to each other sometimes, and say to my friends is, we can't ever really change anybody else. All we can do that we can really have an effect over is the way that we respond to that person, the amount of power that we give to that person. And, you know, I'm a great believer in, in when Mark and I were first doing therapy, we used to hate it when the therapist would say, don't say somebody makes you feel. Somebody mm. doesn't make you. Oh, God, well, that's the only bloody word because they make me feel mm -hmm. that way. And they try and retrain you, therapists, to say the way that I'm left feeling. And I really didn't understand that for so long. And then I realised, if you're saying that somebody is making you something, you're handing over all your power to that person. Whereas when you start questioning whether you are choosing to, and again, I don't know what this relationship is. I don't know whether it's a marriage, a friend or whatever. I know it's very complicated if it's a marriage, especially if you're in a violent marriage or anything like that. But as I don't know, and I'm just generalising this, you you have to decide that you want change. You have to decide that you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know. So say it was a friend of mine and that I really felt they were being really narcissistic and, um, you know, every time I saw them, I was left feeling afterwards that it was a toxic meeting. I left feeling a bit worse about myself than I had when I had met them, but I kept repeating that behaviour. I would eventually start asking myself the question, why, why am I repeating a behaviour that leaves me feeling worse about myself? Why aren't I just stopping seeing this person? And often it's because we're scared of confrontation. And God, believe me, so many times in my life, I have done the most appalling thing, which is rather than have the conversation, I've just... Um, cut out from answering somebody, you know, what, what is it they call now, ghosted? Ghosting. Yeah. yeah, and so we sort of, you know, I've always sort of flipped between all those things. Nowadays, I'm just really cautious about who I let into my circle and then I'll keep a, a bit of a distance 
before I'm sure. I want to feel better when I see somebody. Um, if it's a relationship that you're in, it's, it is much more complex, especially if you're living with them. But this would be my one line for that. If you don't feel you have the strength to leave, it's probably because you're using all your strength to stay. If you're in a violent relationship, it's really, really important that you just don't suddenly leave your relationship. You have to have support for that because often it can be the most dangerous point when you leave. And if that's the case, I would highly recommend you um, contact Refuge or uh, a domestic violence charity and get advice on that. That's so important. But mostly, if somebody is putting you in a living hell, ask yourself if you're sick and tired of it and start to look for a way out of it. Yeah, I mean, looking at the question here, have you, if you wonder whether, why I'm looking over there, I'm monitoring the sound and the variables on the audio, and I'm also just always looking back at some of the uh, comments that you've shared with us. Have you ever had to deal with a narcissist? I think everyone's had to deal with a narcissist, and I think everyone has narcissists in their lives, and I think everyone has narcissistic potential or, or tendencies or capacities. I mean, for me, I think, um, you know... I mean, what we've come to understand, narcissism, not a psychiatric thing, because no. it is a very serious... No, 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 no. And also, you know, I think there's a lot... It's a very memeable thing, isn't it? It's very social media friendly. You know, mm. I post about it a lot. You know, I think narcissism is, is, a, a, is a tricky thing because I do think it's become almost a bit of a, a sort of zeitgeisty catch-all for so many other different things. Um, I think, you know, if you feel that you're living with someone who has narcissism, you will probably be living a life in which they are in control, indirectly or directly, of virtually everything, and that everything that happens to you and everything that happens to them is of primary importance, and you don't experience anything unless it's going through the mediation of them and how it affects them. Um, they will be, if you say that it's a, I'm in a living hell, then presumably you're on the receiving end or the control of a narcissist. And in my experience of narcissists, narcissists are, you will never win. You will never win trying to tackle a narcissist head on uh, or engage by engaging with them on the terms or in the way that they are luring you to engage with them. And this is one of the things, the narcissist is, there's a vampiric aspect to the narcissist where they need to feed, they need to sustain themselves, they need to keep themselves going, and they do that by feeding off this idea that everyone else is responsible for the awful things that happens to them, and they're responsible for everything that's brilliant that happens to them, um, and there endeth the sermon. And so consequently, everyone in their lives is merely a small part of allowing them to enable them to create this kind of Myth, mythologizing of their own life and their, their, their belief that they are the be all, the end all, and everything. You know, there's that classic line, I've trotted it out many, many times. You know, if I do something wrong to Nadia, it's my fault. But if she does something wrong to me and she's the narcissist, say, uh, I made her do it. So, you know, they, there's never responsibility. The narcissist never takes responsibility. They are not responsible for the badness of what's going on. And yet, at the same time, they're feeding copiously off the distress, the disorder. And the, at, the, at the nub of it is, all of this distress and disorder that they're creating in you and unsettling and you're trying to fix things and you're trying to work things out and you're being pushed on the back foot and going, what have I done? Am I going mad? Have I tried? This is all about attention. You're not ever going to be able to resolve it because if you do resolve, 
in a quite literal sense, and this is my experience of narcissism when I've had narcissists, is I know for a fact, because I'm pretty, you could say on the spectrum myself, but I know... Not the I, spectrum of, of narcissism, like... No, no, not, <laughs> no, not narcissism, but on the spectrum of, I like to troubleshoot. You know, me and one of our daughter's boyfriends, we, we sit there, I love that sort of scientific process. But if I can look at a problem and actually think, do you know what? That's empirically solved. I know for a fact that this is the set of circumstances surrounding this, this event or whatever. And then the narcissist will just ignore that and come at you with something completely different. It doesn't matter. So one of the things Can't I suppose... Win. Yeah, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is all energy expended in service of trying to solve a situation with a narcissist, I hate to say it, in my experience, is wasted energy. All of it. All of it. I've listened to many podcasts with psychiatrists. I mean, if this person is an actual narcissist and not just somebody that is pretty horrible. I think that's the, interest, I think that's the interesting area is how do you decide? You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, like, if this person is a diagnosed narcissist, every psychiatrist that I've ever listened to says there's absolutely bugger all you can do with them. Get out. Because the last thing they're going to be offended by is it is you getting out because they'll go to somewhere else to find see, the next problem. See, it's a fairly new word, isn't it? I mean, and some psychiatrists don't even recognise it. Do you know, as a mental health condition... Well, no, in they the Johnny Depp case, it was disputed that it was even it a even sort of a condition. Thing. I mean, you know, when we were growing up, it was just a nasty bastard, wasn't it? Mm. That's, what, that's how you would describe mm. what today might be described as a narcissist. Mm. And you can't win with a nasty bastard. No, exactly. But I think um, there were also different angles just finally on this there's two different ends of the narcissistic spectrum i think um there's the sort of big larger than life character is controlling d dominates moods everything is about them everything eventually comes back to them they literally lose interest in you when you're talking about anything else until it comes back to them there's that but then i think there's also the other end of the narcissistic kind of spectrum which is the victimized narcissist who through promoting and forever creating a narrative of you know being put upon or victimized or villainized is also seeking to stay in everyone else's kind of hearts heads and thoughts and lives uh in a sort of downbeat way there's the sort of downbeat narcissist as well as the upbeat narcissist if you like and and i think they're both really really troublesome to deal with and i think as nadia rightly says there it's a little bit like defining an alcoholic versus someone who's struggling with their drink at a certain time. I go back to the thing I said at the beginning. I think we all have times in our lives where we become a little bit self-centered or we're only seeing things through the lens of us. And what's quite telling is when someone in your family or a friend or someone goes, you're being a bit selfish and you're anything. It's what you do with that information. If it's gobbledygook, they're a narcissist. But if you're not... <laughs> In his opinion, this is a medical opinion. <laughs> but I, I would really, really recommend that you, if you can safely, and it's all about that, nothing, you should never do anything sort of suddenly, is just really think about extrapolating yourself from their web of game playing. Because that's what it is. Um, so the one I, I really spoke to me was, uh, and you have put your name, um, just your first name, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name you, it's Beth. Uh, you ask, how can I put boundaries in place as an adult child of an alcoholic? I love my dad so much, but it's so incredibly painful to see the way that alcohol completely changes his personality, behaviour and everything about him. I can't bear the sadness of watching his health deteriorating, but I want to be there to support him. Thank you. My heart goes out to you, because when I read something like that, Beth, I 
this is what I would take from that in an AA meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous. Been sober, this is my 20th, coming into my 20th year of sobriety. I sort of pause, and the first thing I think is, oh my God, that could have been any one of my daughters. Um, and, and I think, what could have worked for me back then? The only thing that cut through the addiction, and it did have to with my eldest, was someone at some point telling me as a father that this had distressed or upset or worried or scared a child of mine. That didn't stop me drinking. It wouldn't stop you drinking necessarily. That's, that's a whole other ball game. But how do, you, you know, how do you get any communication through? How do you deal with? How do you deal with watching someone whose personality and behavior changes so much and you're watching him deteriorate? And obviously I'm presuming you're, an, you're now an adult child of, a, of an alcoholic. The first thing you need to do is get to a fellowship like Al-Anon, or if, if not a 12-step fellowship, there are lots of, you know, um, therapy groups and self-help groups, charitable groups. Al-Anon is for families, families of, of an addict. Yeah, and this is about... Fam friends or family. Yeah. And what that is about is about putting you at the centre of your own experience and allowing you a space to share in the fact that your life is being impinged upon destroyed you're struggling in your in your own way to disentangle yourself from the addiction and the actions and behavior of someone that you care about deeply and therein lies the horror of addiction beyond what the horror is for the addict which is all those complicated tendrils of emotional connection resentment fear hate and all that stuff that comes with family relationships and and what have you the only thing that I can sort of recommend of any, in any sort of detailed way is, I again, I don't know the makeup of your family, is finding a way to gently, not at a time when he's drinking, perhaps in the company of someone else that he trusts or he feels safe with. Could it be a friend of his? Could it be another relative? Could it be your mum? I don't know. What, again, I don't know what your family situation is. Could it be a sibling of yours? Could you in any way, shape or form be able to you know, find a chance to sit down with him and say, look, this is how I'm feeling. This is how you're making me feel. And this is really making me feel sad and scared and all these kind of things. Now, that doesn't an addiction is an addiction. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to change anything overnight. But I think it's really important to have a moment where you feel you've said everything. Because and I'll tell you why there's a very pragmatic reason for this, and I don't mean to suggest that this could be what happens. You know, addiction and alcoholism of any form, and addiction of any form, can suddenly take lives in the most unexpected ways. And I think it's incumbent on you absolutely to feel that you have a safe space to say this to him, because you don't want to live the rest of your life thinking, I didn't, or I, I should have, or I could have. Um, and how you do it now, obviously, again, if your relationship with him is one in which you feel it's dangerous, all these caveats are there. If we were talking to you in person, you know, do you feel safe to talk to him? Probably not. Most people who are drinking don't want to be challenged in their drinking behaviour. And some people will, will not be challenged in a way that's just avoiding, and others will be angry and aggressive. And of course, again, dependent on what the relationship's like and what he's like, I would really recommend that you think of some way of finding a as sober a moment as possible to sit with him, but with someone else who understands where you're coming from, to share with him. And that's pretty much all you can do at that point. Would you agree? I mean, I think that's... Well, first of all, what I would say is, Alanon, as Mark said, is a really um, good suggestion. 
Um, you don't have to go into a meeting. You can listen to one online. Um, you don't have to be godly. Everybody thinks all the anonymous meetings are godly. I've been to Al-Anon meetings. Um, there, are there are the three C's that they talk about in Al-Anon, and it's kind of the mantra of anyone that is dealing with somebody with addiction, and it is the three C's. I didn't cause it, I can't control it, and I can't cure it. And those three C's, I think, are really important, important because... As somebody that's living or dealing with an addict, you spin between those three things all the time. And it is so exhausting. It is really so. I just want to put a big hug, mm. give you a big hug. Of course, you know, my sympathy is always with the addict as well, because I don't think it's a life choice. I do think it's a kind of um, personally, I think it's a mental health issue. But that, but you know, when Mark went into rehab, they made a real point of telling all the families and everything that, surprisingly enough, it's usually the people that have been dealing with the addict that will become ill because of suppressing their own feelings. Mm -hmm. So they can get all kinds of illnesses as the addict gets better. So taking care of yourself is a really important thing to do. And it will be incredibly difficult to do that mm -hmm. because... I don't know how long your father's been drinking, but if you've grown up your whole life making pathways for your father, making excuses, holding him up, rescuing him out of his situation, stopping him from embarrassment, lying to other people about what he might be doing, that is so draining, but it's also, it will be right in your DNA to do it. So it, I found that a very, very hard thing to do, to undo that and realise that I couldn't, control it I didn't cause it and I couldn't cure it and and I and I say I used to say that to myself all the time to try and undo that way of thinking um how Mark what you know when when Mark got sober I had said to him I, I'm not doing this anymore like that's it it's like you don't ever stay in this you know we're never under the same roof again for as long as you're drinking so for us, that worked. It was an extreme, you know, boundary, which was like, that's it, I've had enough. And, you know, they do say in rehab, they do say it, that it is extremely rare for somebody to just say, OK, and now I'm going to get sober. It's usually at the point that they think that they're going to lose everybody, that they will then, isn't it, will then well, take action. Absolutely. Which is yes. quite interesting, isn't it? Because people always say, and we all did before we knew about rehab, well, unless somebody wants to change. But unfortunately, usually they have to be shoved into oh, it. Oh, absolutely. But I think what Mark said is really, really important. Because we don't know your situation... Your dad could be the most lovely person, but maybe he's he can also be violent or angry. or So you have to protect yourself. Mm. And so I would, you know, like Mark says, talk to maybe other family members or friends or other people that know him and say, listen, what do you think is the safest way to do this? There are various ways you could tell him the truth, right? Because it's usually the truth that's going to break through this shit, you know. So that could either be by a detailed letter that could be a video that you can make if he's somebody that could easily turn away from a letter. A video where you just talk into the camera. You don't do a lot of you did this and you do that, but you talk about I. You don't say you, you think I. I'm left feeling. This is how it impacts on me. I really want us to have a connection again. I'm worried about your health. I'm fearful that you could end up dying from this disease. And put the I. Because... Can you imagine, 
your child looking at you through a camera and really talking. And the thing is, he can't then interrupt you. Mm. But he could interrupt you if he feels accused. So try not to be accusatory. Try and be just talk about yourself with real honesty. And um, but as Mark says quite rightly, if you could go to an Al-Anon first, if you could look talk with other people so that you're safe, because we want you to be safe. You know, when you're doing this. I mean, another thing I would say also, the interesting thing about recording, I'd never thought of that as a way of a modern day way of sort of almost uh, an intervention, if you like, is that there isn't the chance for them to kind of challenge you back or come, that's our dog in the background, by the way, uh, or, or, you know, push back at you or, or interrupt you. And they might stop it, but they can go back to it and watch it. And also it removes, obviously, that aspect of fear for you sitting opposite because... You know, it's that weird thing, isn't it? Mm. We can be most be fearful. I still get that, Nanny Di. I know she doesn't watch these, but I can still get that. It's very frightening mm. to challenge your parent. However big and old and experienced you are, it's your parent. And you can't unchange that. Another little thing... And I maybe all... if you start with, Dad, I love you mm. so much. Mm. Dad, I'm frightened. You see the difference from going, right, I can't take this anymore. You've got to stop your drinking. It's a bloody nightmare. The whole Mm. family's sick of it. You're going to push away. Yeah, exactly. And also the other thing I would, which can be done quite easily, is have a little think about your father's drinking through these two lenses. What's his lifestyle like and who's in his life that could be enabling him? And what that means is, you know, someone who's allowing him or encouraging him to drink or rescue him. Is he in a new relationship where his partner is sort of enabling him to drink or rescuing him or validating his desire to drink on something. Also, look at his life. Has he had a moment in his life? Was there an illness? Was there a change of career? Was there something that kind of triggered a moment? Because these little moments where we humanise the addict and we look at what they've gone through and we look at where they've been, especially with parents, it's helped immeasurably because my mum's had various substance addictions and lifestyle addictions and, and what have you throughout her life. And when I look back, it really helps me have more compassion in my dealing with her um, when I look at her as a child or someone, you know, she was going through her own life and she hit this hurdle and she turned to this to cope with it. You know, and it might be, you know, if it's around his career or if it's around his, it could be physicality with men as well, couldn't it? He was once active and now he's not. Could it be that, you know, you by doing all that investigation and doing a little bit of detective work around him, you can start to work out where potentially looking beyond him stopping drinking or reducing drinking or hearing you, you could build upon a relationship in in those areas. Do you know what I mean? You could connect with him in that area. Yeah, but you also have to be careful that you're not slipping into feeling so much compassion again that you forget about what you want. And what you want is you want your dad to stop drinking. So with what Mark said there, I might say to you, So maybe that's the way, if you did a video, you did a letter, that you could say, Dad, I know that you feel so let down by such and such. And I see you drinking on that. And maybe that's something that you could work on. But but don't, don't but don't try and like you don't have to be don't a have therapist. To fix him. You can't. You didn't cause no. it. You can't cure it. And you no, can't no, no. Sorry, if that it. came across, I wasn't suggesting that you fix him in any way. I just think sometimes no, within it, it might just help you understand. Oh yeah. right. For, for example, if he's got a partner, she's probably done a lot of time of understanding. Yeah, yeah. though. No, but say he's got a partner who you feel is is forever kind of allowing him or green lighting. Have another drink, Jerry, or you know whatever it is. 
you could reach out to his partner and say, look, I think this is part of the pro. I think we really need to talk. We need to talk to, do you know what I mean? You might be able to sort of find other ways or avenues in or people to sort of sit with you or help you make some kind of emotional intervention. There's interventions which seek to stop and drag into rehab. But then I think there are what are called emotional interventions. And an emotional intervention is not dissimilar to what Nadia said to me. It's a rock bottom. It's where people closest to you are saying, enough's enough. I love you deeply. I can take no more. And it's a crunch. The other part of that, which is very difficult, and there's no, there's no sugarcoating this, is that sometimes addicts, alcoholics, will choose the addiction above even their closest family members. So and that be isn't, prepared that for... That isn't about who you no, are. That's no. about who they are yeah. and them not being able to deal with the disease, the dis-ease inside mm, of them. Mm. So my last line on this would be you, you, you. Look after you. Mm. You can't change somebody else. You can only change the way you respond to them. So by you starting to really ask yourself what you want and what you need, which will be very difficult if you've grown up with an alcoholic because the alcoholic is the centre of everything Absolutely. when they're drinking. Absolutely. There's no moment for a person to work out how they're feeling. So it's so hard and it's so exhausting. Um, and all you can do is tell him your truth and then deal with making yourself well and whether he gets well or not, that's going to be up to him. Absolutely. Um, okay, just one more. Um, and this is really close to my heart. Um, uh, this is from Loretta. And um, she says, my agony at the moment is watching what's happening to the Palestinian people on a daily basis and feeling utterly helpless. How can we make this nightmare stop? Hmm. Well, how many times do we think that in a mm, day, Mark? Mm, how many mm, times do we, you know, do, my sister popped round yesterday and she just looked absolutely incandescent. We're like, oh, God, you're in a good mood. She goes, well, I'm not actually. I'm in a really bad mood. It was like, you know, a bit joking. Oh, what is it? And then, of course, we ended up having a conversation again about Gaza, as we do probably ten times a day. Mm. Um, and... Um, can, can you just turn that around for me? I've yeah, just I, made I, some notes here from some different things that I've read online. I, I, interestingly, on that note, I mean, I, I actually thought, if you, for those of you who follow the channel, I thought Dina just seemed very sad about that. And, mm. you know, these things, they, they run deep. And it's weird. You know, regard, let's, let's just, if you can, park to the side, the Palestinian side, the Israeli side, where you sit on that fence. I think something in this that will be troubling so many is just the lack of humanity, the perceived lack of humanity on both sides of the equation. Yeah, you know. I mean, I think when we talk now, we're not going to talk about just no. about Gaza. We're going to talk about, and again, to go back to how we kicked this off, which is we're looking for the similarities. You may be dealing with some sort of trauma that's got nothing to do with Israel or mm. Gaza or anything. That I'm going to move away from the specifics of this now because I think that this is important just generally for trauma. Mm. And so um, I found this article, and actually I think that these uh, tips are are really good and thank you for sending this message because it reminds me that this is what I have to do on a daily basis as well so watching traumatic events unfold directly or indirectly gets processed by the brain in the same way it's important to note that sometimes the signs of distress occur immediately and sometimes they can be delayed so that could be something that even that you've witnessed as a child through mm. trauma um, and sometimes they can be late. Even by years, signs of response to trauma include 
sustained standish, sadness, anxiety, depression, impaired function in daily life, poor appetite, weight loss or gain, sustained feelings of hopelessness and helplessness. And I think many people in their lives, I mean, I know, you know, Mark's had many struggles through his life and through a difficult childhood that he's always working on. This is just like an ongoing situation is I've had traumas in my life that I'm ongoing. And so with this current situation, some of that comes up and we run to like adrenaline and cortisol and maybe looking for more information and talking negatively about it all the time. And we can't let go of that because it's like, it's almost like the cortisol and adrenaline that's released keeps us like going and it's just not healthy and you can't sustain that. So, you know, things like unplugging from social media or if it's not to do with Gaza or Israel, unplugging maybe from people that want to keep you locked into a place of trauma or, or unhappiness. Um, don't suppress or deny your feelings. Um, you know, both Mark and I and our kids have done CBT, and this is the, like, defining thing for therapy, me about not CB CBD, CBT. CBT, CBT yeah. yeah. Cognitive behaviour therapy. Yeah. And it's a de the defining thing that I took from it, which is if you say to yourself, don't think it, don't feel it, don't think it, don't feel it, pops up, pops up, comes to the forefront of your mind. And I am, have been really struggling with dealing with the emotions that I've been having over the last few months and and I've d dealt with it badly. I've lost a lot of what I know is the best way. I've, but I come back to, oh, I'm noticing what I'm doing there. I'm taking my mind there. It's not effective. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help the situation. But I'm noticing that I'm thinking it. That's okay. It will pass. And then I'll do something else or distract or do something positive like post something that could maybe help or, you know, start a conversation or something. Um, so don't suppress or deny your feelings. Say, whew. We say it to each other, don't we, Mark? We say, okay, I'm just going to sit with these feelings a bit today. Yeah, can I just... Whatever that is. Yeah, I'll just throw in two, two suggestions mm. alongside these. I mean, something else that I think is really important is if you don't want to be engaging with this traumatic event or circumstance or piece of news or ongoing narrative that's just horrendous that you're engaged with but you don't want to do it at that time of day you telling a loved one a friend a colleague someone who wants to engage you on it you, that find a way to just say to them look i hear you i don't want to talk about it right now because i find it really unsettles me and i'm going to be unsettled by this later i want to know when i'm going to allow it to come in and I, when, when i want to engage with it what i'm saying is is don't be afraid to take control of when you're, you know, sometimes... When you look, don't make yeah. it all day. And, and also, don't get me wrong, you don't want to be the one that goes, look, guys, can everyone just not talk about it? Because that, I find, just as annoying. What you can do, and it sometimes very much happens in our household with people coming in and everyone's feeling very emotional about something. So say, Dina might, now your sister might come in. If I know that they're in a place of heated, you know, shared upset about something, but I, at that point, can't deal with it, I'll just take myself into another room. It's, 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 it's just curating how you engage with it and when you engage with it. And just as another final thought, which is a kind of sidebar on that. For example, I've started turning off LBC at the moment and listening to Radio 4. It sounds awful, but because I can't bear the over-exaggerated stress, excitement, speed and drama in many of the hosts and many of the people who call in. It's very stressful. It's engaging and it generates a very lurching kind it's of emotional response. Whereas actually what I'm finding now is I'll go online, 
and I'll look up the stories. I'll go to Al Jazeera, The Telegraph, the BBC, the Times of Israel, and I'll look at all of them for what the latest updates are so I get a sort of broad... And I'm in control of that because I can read it and I can feel something and I can pause. Mm. I'm not still listening to someone hectoring or feeling being trauma. You know what I mean? So just be... You know, it's all right to control how you take, take the information mm. in. Our, our daughter sent us a really good text about it's just a bit much now. Can we just yeah. like? And it was like, yeah, I really rem admired and respected them mm. for that. Um, you know, skip the urge to self-medicate for God's sake. Don't go. All right, what I'm going to do is stuff my face. What I'm going to do is have a try. You know, half a bottle of wine. Try and catch yourself when you're going to it and say, mm. is this going to help? How am I going to feel after I've drank this half bottle of wine, after I've drunk, uh, eaten these three cakes? Mm, I'm probably going to feel worse than I do right now. So how else could I have some self-care? What could I do? Could I, you know, watch a nice film? Could I, do, if you like yoga, could I do yoga? Could I have a nice bath? Can I phone a friend? Find other ways to distract because self-medicating will exacerbate the whole damn thing. Mark's just covered. Make sure you're accurate, accurately informed. You know, what sometimes when we stuff, we see stuff, we go, right, okay, is this actually real? Where can we cross-check it? Where can we just have a few, you know, like Mark says, though, it's giving you a balanced idea of, of, of things, of um, platforms or mm. news channels that you follow. Um, words matter. This is really important. When describing a traumatic or disturbing event, using accurate, accurate and appropriate words. Now... We've all calmed down a bit, but for a lot of the time, we were like, God, we were just like, damn it. And actually, those words have incredible power. You've got to try and, oh, my God, God help anyone at the beginning that was saying to me, just calm down, be calmer about it, because I just couldn't. But now I try to bring it down. I feel like it rise up again, but I try and bring it down because I think where I'm, where, this is not making me more powerful. This is making me more powerless. Where can I, where can I have my power back? Hmm. Um, Ask for help, reach out to other people, talk, community, friends, um, family. Um, and I think that that's really important. There's nothing like empathy from somebody else. Even if they don't agree, even if they're not in the same position or the same camp, being able to say, that must hurt, or I can see that you're struggling, and to hear that back is an incredibly powerful thing. And as I say... Thank you so much for sending that question. But everything we've just said, we need to keep employing every day ourselves. And that's that's totally how agree. sharing works. Mm. It's not pontificating just from your POV. It's like, oh, right, OK, yeah, this is what I needed to hear as well today. I would also, um, just as a final thought on all of that, I would also say that, you know, I have a few kind of red lines where I, you know, I sometimes say to the girls, look, if someone says this, I'm not talking about a friend or a relative or so, you know, but I'm talking about, you know, someone that you don't get on with at work and they, you know, they, you feel that they're kind of aggravating you by, because don't forget, people can, you know, try and upset the apple cart. Just have some red lines where you go, look, if this is your position on this, my position is, is on this, it's pointless us talking. That, but can we both have empathy for each other? Because, or or just, yeah. just navigate around each other. Just say, look, we're and it's that thing, you know, I hate it. You're going to have to agree to disagree. I like that. I don't well, it's how it's so imparted. But well, I no, think... I just think it's like it's people that, I, in my opinion, people yeah. don't like it are people that want to bloody win the argument. I... Sometimes you have to say, we are never going to agree. I think that's the thing to say. I don't even think I it's really agree to disagree. It's just say, we don't agree, and that's okay. That's okay. It's okay to disagree. It doesn't mean you hate yeah. them, they hate you, you hate everyone in their family. It's yeah, just, we're just know. different human yeah, beings, exactly. aren't we? And with different 
thoughts and feelings. And remember, most media, most social, everything is the clickbait ability. Anger, strong opinions and polemic, which means, you know, sitting at one pole or the other, you know, sitting at extreme pole. They drive traffic, they, try, they drive engagement, they drive money. And so that whole machine is at work behind us. And one other little thing that we learned from The Social Dilemma is if you are on social media and you're being fed the stuff because you're sympathetic, and so, try and upset the algorithm sometimes by searching for something completely opposite. <laughs> like, I don't know, I put in the other day, I just put in Christian values and now I keep getting stuff from, you know, churches and, and things like that. But it does kind of... Yeah. It, to it, leave your mind, to keep your mind yeah, open yeah. because otherwise yeah. you, you can slip into an echo chamber for sure. And just quickly on the how do we not feel so powerless, That we're struggling with that. I mean, Mark and I, we talk on a daily basis on our uh, Coffee Moaning show, show. That goes out every morning on, on this channel on YouTube. We, we talk, and so we feel that is... But even then we get frustrated that it's not enough. We post on Instagram. Um, we've been on the marches. We're going to go on more marches. And, you know, we're, we're all the time talking about how we're going to raise money. So... Those little things can help you feel like you're doing something because what is that line? What on earth can I, what difference can I make? Said nine billion people, you know. Mm. So throw a pebble and then the ripples can affect. There you oh, go. I've gone Buddha. Yeah. So listen, guys, thank you so much. Thank if you've you. enjoyed the podcast, could you please like it? Could you share it? Could you, um, that really does mean so much to us. And also, if you're listening on podcast, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Sawala Adelies, and watch us, if you prefer to watch us. And I would also recommend that go to the YouTube channel if you also want to send your, I'll check with Michelle, that we might be able to put it on the Spotify or podcast a link. I don't know if you can put links down there. So you can actually share a dilemma or an issue or a thought or a problem that maybe you'd like us to discuss or yeah. kick about. 